the arsonist has oddly shaped feet. Hey lab rats, well the grime keeper and happy pride. Igor here. Now, even though we talk about dark stuff here in the lab, we know that love is love and we embrace the diversity of it out in the world. Let's make everyday pride day so the world can breathe in the feeling of acceptance. Breathe in the warmth of tolerance. Exhale the stank of bigotry. Our topic today is Grizzly Georgia Crimes. Now this came about like I posted on my Facebook page for Crime Keeper is a friend is going to Georgia, actually Savannah, next month, and she asked me to kind of look into some different crime history. Started researching Savannah lots, especially a lot of spooky stuff. So that's going to be next time. I found enough with just George's crime history. So I would be able to do just one episode focusing on Georgia, the state itself. And then next time we're going to talk about spooky Savannah. So getting in the mood for that, I've been watching Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, John Cusack, Kevin Spacey, and 1997, Fashion. So in the process of watching that, get the book out, uh, get the movie. You won't be able to find it on Tubi or anything for free, as I was hoping, since it's kind of old. However, it's like three bucks, so do it. We are going to start, as usual, with Newsflash. Got a little Newsflash for you. And then we'll move on to our WTF, and then the main event. Here is a Murdaw update. Now, I will refer to Alex Murdaw heretofore, here for two as Asbag Alex. Asbag has a date with the South Carolina Supreme Court June 22nd to answer calls for his disbarment due to his financial crimes. This is according to thestate.com. Another source, which I will have these posted, says there's still no murder charges for Paul and Maggie Murdaw, and it's been a year since their murders. SLED, which I found out, um, is not just a winter implement used by children, but it stands for South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. There have been two developments. They found that two guns were used in the slangs and that it was a targeted shooting, which we all kind of wondered, but I guess they had to do more investigation before they could come out and say, yes, we really do feel like it was, they were targeted. Now, Asbag faces 15 indictments, totaling 79 state grand jury charges, and he is still incarcerated at the Alvin S. Glenn Detention Center in Richland County. Fox Carolina says that ex-housekeeper Satterfield's family has an attorney, and he said he believes the Murdaugh case is also changing the judicial system in South Carolina for the better with more cases being handled on court record and law firms paying closer attention to where the funds are being distributed. Because that's, of course, one of his charges is that he bilked his own company, his firm where he worked. And, quote, the attorneys saying as, our justice system will be better for it. It's definitely being stressed. It's definitely being tested. Let's hope it's a positive outcome because this is just... I can't even, I, I want to say ridiculous. It's so criminal. It's just ridiculous what he gets away with or has gotten away up to this point. 
In a recent court filing, Alex Murdaugh admitted to owing Satterfield's sons more than $4 million. Because remember, she had the accidental quote-unquote fall down. They are exhuming her body to confirm that. And he encouraged them to file a claim against his insurance company. He got money and apparently he never gave it to them. And he admitted that. Bland, the Satterfield's attorney, was recently retained in another case where crash victims allege Murdahl stole money from them. The net is widening for him and the noose is getting tighter. Crime Online says that Paul's phone, his son Paul, had audio and video evidence of Murdahl being at the scene on June 7th when the murders happened near the dog kennels. That's been leaked. We know that, again, more evidence. Maggie is said to have been asked to meet Asbag at his property to meet with his dying father and mom who has dementia. So he used his, his elderly parents to kind of lure her there is the uh, supposition. Maggie was residing away from her hubby and had met with a divorce attorney prior to her death. So that's the rumor. That's the talk. We'll find out as all this develops. But I, I can't believe that you, when you're incarcerated, you don't just get debarred. Now, not to be uh, not to be mixed up with the group DeBarge, but you know, I don't know. Maybe you get DeBarge, but that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Anyway, let's get on to what the fuck. I was listening to Morbid, and they were talking about a carnival cult I had not heard of. So I was kind of looking into that. And when I typed in Carnival Cult, this little gem popped up. Carnival Mafia member orders killing of Wichita couple. This was back in 2018. Yes, Carnival Mafia, which, as I always like to say, good name for a band. So it starts off with four carnies who I now will call Jimungus Douchelemmings because they claim they thought they were being initiated into said carnival mafia when they killed a couple, Sonny and Pauline Carpenter, who were vendors at the Barton County Fair. One of the suspects even had their grandson assist in burying the bodies, threatening him if he didn't. The couple was killed in Kansas and buried in Arkansas in a shallow grave while their bodies were being hauled in their own RV that these uh, douches stole. Police dismissed the carnival mob connection, but Kimberly Younger, one of these carnies, pretended to be Frank Zeitchik, who ordered the hit via text to the others. So little... Um, little confusing there, but there are four people. This Kimberly Younger said, hey, yeah, I know this Frank guy. Let me get him. And then she would like just text everybody and these quote unquote instructions on how to be initiated. I think it, uh, the guy that ends up being convicted for the murders called it his blood in. One of the idiots was sentenced to 100 years for the slangs. Wow, this is why it's under what the fuck. Now, after just a small time of warm-up for play, if you will, we're getting to that main event. Like I said, this is a friend request. Based on her request, I done what I dude. 
you know I really am a fan of a list. So I found uh, one of these lists from onlyinyourstate.com, Georgia Famous Homicides. So get ready for some shit-tastic stories. These six famous homicides in Georgia will never be forgotten. Uno, the Wool Folk Massacre. August 6, 1887, nine members of the Woolfolk family were murdered at their plantation via hatchet, courtesy of a 27-year-old Tom Woolfolk. Six of them were children. Why? According to New Georgia Encyclopedia, Tom was, quote, quarrelsome and irascible by nature and noticeably mentally deranged. Following this up with... Those who knew him thought he was a sharp, cunning, dissipated, unscrupulous fellow and a very perverse, obstinate, eccentric, and a cranky sort of person. I love all of that. I don't know if I can come up with that many adjectives without looking up synonyms for words, which I do use a lot. He apparently abhorred his step-siblings from his father's second marriage after Tom's mother passed away from an illness when he was like five. Tom, being the only person not deed, naturally became the person of interest. Also, because he had specks of blood on his ears and the uh, bloody footprint on his leg, allegedly. But, like, he totally did it. Dose. The Atlanta Ripper. Between 1911 and 1914, 21 murders were attributed to this Atlanta Ripper. 15 to 20. Now, I've read in a couple references 15 murders, but then I also read as many as 20. So that's why I have that range. They were women with their throats slit. Grunge.com goes on to say, most were apprehended from behind, struck in the head, then taken to another location for privacy. Here they were tortured, mutilated, and their lives ended, causing comparisons to Jack the Ripper. A few facts about the crime. They were randomly selected victims and didn't make the front page until his eighth victim. Probably because they were women of color. Not front page news. Sad. All were African Americans and in their early 20s. There were only two survivors, but there were survivors. There were no convictions, but six suspects were located. Then the killings just stopped. In March of 1912, a grand jury declared the Ripper was merely a myth. Each was committed by a different dude and therefore unrelated. Case closed. You just move on, right? Well, obviously we didn't. Trace. You dig in the Spanish talk? The Alde Murders. This has a total horror movie beginning. May 14, 1973. Three escaped convicts arrived at the home of Jerry Alde in Seminole, California, whom they fatally shot. They were looking for money and guns. They then turned their sights on his father, brothers, and uncle. Jerry's wife was raped, killed, and was located in the woods days later. 
these malignant devils were caught four days later in West Virginia after ending the lives of six members of this family, as well as one of the convict's 15-year-old younger brother. I think he was killed because he was along with them, and then his brother was mad or obviously didn't want any type of witnesses, and so his own blood had to die. Quattro. I think. I think that's four. The Atlanta Child Murders. I, after digging into this, another list that I have that I'm going to end things with, they had several more children involved. I can't. I just, I can't do it after I look into one. This is the only one I'm really going to mention that's specifically about children. And I've cut it down. The other reference from, I don't know, eight down to three because I just I I couldn't research and and, and read and think about it anymore. The Atlanta child murders 1979 to 81 is this span. 29 African-American children went missing ages between 7 to 16 and mostly boys. All were located all their bodies ended up being located in wooded areas in Atlanta killed by asphyxiation. Two adults were murdered as well. Wayne Williams was convicted of the adult killings, but no one has ever been indicted for any of the children. I did listen to the entire Atlanta Monster podcast with Payne Lindsay. I really was open. I really like to hear all sides. They brought up, they did bring up what some people would consider conspiracies with the KKK involved, but I don't know how conspiratorial that is given, oh, I don't know, history. And one of the other stories I'm going to talk about later, we have racially motivated murder. So I really thought that Wayne Williams does not, I think we all can agree, he does not do himself any favors. He hasn't from day one. He's not direct. He likes to use a lot of misdirection and uh, kind. Of, he's kind of a blowhard, really. Do I think he did it or not? I, I think it's not a coincidence that he was there, which we'll talk about in a second here, when they found him near water. And then found a body, but I I don't know if they they would have if they had anything on him they would have uh, put him away because that would have made people feel better. According to vault.fbi.gov, which I was excited about when I saw because I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna get a lot more information, but I really didn't because of course they're gonna put just a little blurb, and then make you dig into all the documents yourself. It says a large portion of them shared common of these murders, shared common details, and they, the FBI, joined the investigation in 1980, and they referred to this task force as ATKID, meaning Atlanta Child Murders, like they just put KID. I don't, I don't know who's in charge of naming that, but it's not great. Like I said, you can view all the original documents, which is kind of cool, but mostly really eerie. So I was starting to read stuff and yeah, I, mm-mm, mm-mm, I stopped going down a rabbit hole, a very sad, dark place. CNN.com says the investigation was reopened in March, 2019, so they could re-examine the evidence 
they extracted DNA from two of the cases along with all the fiber evidence that was reanalyzed in, from all of the 30 cases. They also reviewed half of the evidence that they found viable DNA. So they went through everything to see if they were able to find any potentially viable DNA because they found a lab that even very severely damaged DNA could still, they could still pull some evidence from. In my researching, like I mentioned, uh, stumbled upon another list and could not resist. Here it is, a list within a list or an inventory onion, if you will. This is from investigationdiscovery.com. So yeah, this is further information about these Atlanta child murders. The victim shared just two common traits, race and location, and there was no signature method of killing. The location was along Memorial Drive and 11 Cross Streets. The victims of the Atlanta child murders seemed to be picked at random. Their ages varied from killing to killing, and while most were male, three were female, including seven-year-old Latanya Wilson. Strangulation or asphyxiation was the most common means of killing, but the perpetrator also shot, stabbed, and bludgeoned. Several of the bodies were so badly decomposed upon being recovered that a cause of death could not even be determined. It says here that there were actually six adult victims that occurred just in 1981 alone. I only recall hearing about those two, but maybe he was only convicted of two adults. So that's something that obviously could be looked into more. Also found out that some celebrities focused attention on the murders and the FBI hoped to catch the killer at a charity concert. So get this, March 11th of 81, Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, oh yeah, the Rat Pack couple of guys, headlined a benefit concert at the Atlanta Civic Center that ended up raising $148,000 to aid in the investigation. Robert De Niro, while accepting his Best Actor Academy Award for Raging Bull, wore a green ribbon on his tuxedo as a symbol of unity with the victims and their loved ones. And he's actually believed to be the first celebrity that actually donned a ribbon or did some type of support at a public event for a cause. The Jackson family, oh yeah, the Jacksons if you're nasty, they donated $100,000 from their performance at the Atlanta Omni Coliseum to the Atlanta Children's Foundation. Gladys Knight and the Pips released a fundraising single, Forever Yesterday, for the children to benefit the victims' families. So, really did come together. I was, what, nine when this happened? So, but I don't recall any of that. A loud splash led to the arrest of suspect Wayne Williams. Cops were staking out an area in areas near water and saw Williams' white 1970 station wagon. Two days later, a body was found in the river. So like I had mentioned, they pulled him over and they were asking what you were doing there. And he, you know, 
talks a game doing this doing that he is a record promoter trying to scout talent blah 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 what's he doing and it was like six in the morning or something and then there were fiber evidence from his vehicle or maybe his home it was like green shag carpet from the time check out Atlanta Monster there's a lot of documentaries on this on the Atlanta child murders as well five because I just five in in um Spanish slip my cinco there we go maybe cinco yeah murder in Coweta County and I had not heard of this one before 1948 John Wallace was a wealthy landowner in the county and apparently held everyone by their short and curlies a sharecropper tenant of his Wilson Turner tried his hand at bootlegging without permission by the aforementioned walking hard on and got shit canned Turner took two of Wallace's cows in retaliation, then was arrested for their theft. Upon his release for lack of evidence, Turner found Wallace and a few throwdown buds waiting for him in the parking lot, tried to drive away, but Wallace was in hot pursuit. When his truck ran out of gas, Wallace beat Turner with his gun. Turner's body was later burnt by Wallace on Wallace's property. Wallace was one of the richest men to be executed in Georgia. Who fucking who? But I had not heard that in, in my, I always say that, in my research, I found that Johnny Cash was in a movie about this. I can't remember who else was in the movie with him, but yeah. Look it up. IMDb, bitches. Sace. And Jet Donovan Lyles murders. And Jet was the owner of a popular lunch spot on Mulberry Street and was known as a fast woman, rumored to be a black magic and voodoo practitioner. Those two usually don't go hand in hand. Or do they? She was charged with murdering her nine-year-old daughter, two husbands, a mother-in-law, and a partridge in a pear tree via arsenic in the late 1950s. Now, I found that interesting because usually it was like the early 1900s, 1890s, thereabouts that they, that this was happening, but I'm thinking like Victorian times and stuff, but you know, earlier, maybe the 20s, wow, the 50s, that surprised me. And Jet did it for the paper, y'all, money. Headstuff.com had an amazing title for her, Restaurateur of Death. After being sentenced to death, she was declared insane and sent to a state hospital for the remainder of her crazy, sad life. There really is a lot more to her story, so you should really check out the entire article, headstuff.org. So those are the six that I got from that source. Now let's go on to the last three. I picked only a few from this list. The dragging murder that took 35 years to solve. 1983 saw the murder of 23-year-old Timothy Coggins near Sunnyside. He had been beaten, stabbed, and dragged behind a vehicle. It's thought the intention wasn't homicide, but to send a message. Well, obviously it uh, did. According to People.com, he had a cross cut into his chest and back, was done to resemble a Confederate flag. He was left to bleed to death behind a pile of wood. Timothy had been dating a white woman, causing the initial connection to racism. The prosecutor said Coggins was eliminated due to selling weed in white neighborhoods. Weed in a woman. And white. Weed woman and white. What has happened? 
The case was reopened in 2017 after being cold for all that time, after new leads were presented, leading to the arrest of five people, two being charged with the crime, the murder itself. Listen to this. A police officer, his mother, and a Spalding County detention officer were charged with obstruction. All right, those two are bad enough. A police officer and a detention officer, but someone's mommy? Ugh. There evidently is a 2020 special about Timothy's heinous death. In it is revealed a police officer went undercover in the KKK, learning the group had members in local police departments. Why is that not shocking? It should be shocking because, like, it never happens. Less than half of the potential jurors showed up for jury selection, which led the judge to threaten to send deputies to physically pull them off the streets. This worked, and Frankie Gebhardt was sentenced to life plus 30 years for the murder of Timothy Coggins. Georgia, y'all, the murder of the incoming DeKalb County Sheriff, December 5th, 2000. Captain Derwin Brown, which did remind me of Bewitched because she would call Darren Derwood, but I digress. Hilariously, though. Captain Derwin Brown arrived home post-party from his own graduation from a sheriff's academy. Brown had recently won the election over Sidney Dorsey, which was an intense one where Brown promised to clean up corruption. To back this up, Brown had already advised 38 people they were going to be terminated when he took office. By the time his wife and five kids arrived right after him, they heard a gunshot, ran out, and found him in the driveway in a pool of blood. Rival Dorsey had already been under investigation for using on-duty deputies for his own private security company, along with wifey allowing inmates to work in a home repair program. She ended up singing like a bird in 2007 to the complete tune of the assassination plot of Derwin Brown. Hubby is serving a life sentence sans parole. Brown's wife never got to see this justice as she died after a stroke in 2003. The newest police precinct was named after him in 2013. And the last one, the brutal case of the Twisted Twins, 2010. 60-year-old identical twins Jasmia and Tasmia arrived home to find their mother dead. Or did they? One of the officers at the scene said it was the bloodiest he'd ever been to. Police quickly smelled bleach and found bloody clothes in the washer, as well as other clothes they tried to discard. The atrocious twins finally confessed to the details, starting with a fight when they woke up late for school and there was a motherly reminder that they had to abide by her rules. They said she was doing this while waving and threatening them with a pot from the stove. After they got said kitchen item from her, they said it was then an all-out brawl, ending with them stabbing and beating their mom. Her body was found in the bathtub with her face broken. Then it comes out, two years prior, they had been sent to live with the grandmother after jumping Mom Jarmecca, Nikki Whitehead, and assaulting her. 
For the murders, the twins received 30-year sentences. Now, you know, after all that, we need some Crime Keeper Beakers up. I had been on the internet webses, came across this on Healthy Gem, which is one of those at the bottom. It's almost like clickbait. I don't think that has to do with porn, right? But it's at the bottom of something you're reading and it says, hey, and it gives this title. Neighbors are in awe as they watch a little girl approach her favorite garbage man. And it's one of those, they give a little blurb in big letters that says next and you have to keep hitting next and they give you just a little bit more, a little bit more until you either are really invested, obviously I was, or you're like, okay, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm completely down a stupid rabbit hole with stupid rabbits. This did not have stupid rabbits. This had an adorable story. This little girl, she's like three or four, and she loved to watch the garbage man. He was this big, happy, muscly dude, smiley. He would wave, they would wave to each other when he would come that day of the week. She just, she was really shy, but she was excited because after her birthday, she wanted to make sure he got a cupcake from her birthday. So she waited for him. You know, she waved to him and, and he came out and she said, here, have this for my birthday. And he was very surprised and very happy. The next week when he came back, he stopped and he had a big birthday gift for her of a bunch of frozen toys, which is her favorite. And from there, their friendship blossomed. They'd wave. Her little brother got involved. He started coming to like their next birthday and their families became closer. They got to know each other better. His name is, his last name is Dobson. He had been putting himself through college while he was doing this job. He ended up graduating, quitting his job, they celebrated his last day together. He went on to become a motivational speaker. What I thought was a really good saying that kind of end around things up with. He says, discovery of your purpose and potential sets you free from other people's prescription of what they think you should be. The little girl's name was Brooklyn. Their relationship shows how a little bit of kindness can change someone's life. I just, I love that stuff. You see it a lot on like today and, you know, Sunday morning. I fall for that shit every time. Love it. Beakers up. Beakers up to them and just, you know, get out there and that's what it's about. Make those connections. Got all this shitty crime and bloodshed and like I said in the beginning, we got stank of bigotry. We just got some stank blow off the life stank you know exhale that life stank let's breathe in the warmth of love and goodness oh do i also am i i'm inhaling some smell of the salty fish head goodness from queen v so i must depart dear lab rats but remember everyone has their truth Mine is Abby Normal. If you enjoy the experience and experiments of Murder Lab, go to Facebook, Instagram, and MurderLabMedia.com for updates. 
Share with your friends, those you created in a lab or not. As long as they can subscribe and listen, we'll take it. Murder Lab is available on Google Play and iTunes. The RSS feed is on MurderLabMedia.com for you to plug into your podcast app. We can always use more lab rats.